Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome everyone, this is The Paradigm Shift with Ian. The Paradigm Shift is now embarking in the lead up to the local government elections on the 28th of March, not far away, eh? We're going to run a series of shows looking at local government. I think it's a very important form of government in our society and it's often derided as being, you know, not as important as the federal and state level of government, but local government provides all the services that we use. Water, transport, sewerage, garbage, a whole lot of arts and culture, building approvals, all of the how we live in our city is is actually a result, result of local government. And of course, Brisbane is unusual in that it has a really huge uh, local government that is bigger than the, um, the entire budget of Tasmania. So let's go to this intro here that I prepared and it'll be followed by a song by Phil Monsoor and the Crisis Actors. Labor Prime Minister Paul Keating used to say, in the race of life, always back self-interest. At least you know it's trying. Contrast this approach with the small band of about 100 people who came together at Queensland University of Technology's S-Block last Saturday. I was invited by Green Councillor Jonathan Shree to attend a policy conference called Reimagine Brisbane. In all the years I have lived here, I have never attended an event like it. Bearing in mind that Brisbane, Mianjin, is a city of the homeless, especially in summer, it is a place of summer storms, of weatherboard homes, high rise on a floodplain, a dirty river slicing urban sprawl into a north-south divide, a port city to export coal and wheat, an airport without curfew, with two parallel runways. Mianjin, a city of deaths in custody, where street marchers were arrested in their thousands, calling out for democratic rights in the 1970s. This river city is hot and humid. The climate has changed. Creeks are flooding through developments with banks falling down. It is not safe for strangers, especially if they're young women. Young women who have been attacked and killed only metres from police stations. Once it had central markets in Roma Street, trams and trolleybuses. Now it has freeways and traffic jams. Every year in summer, this city is on fire. The Garden of Eden is no more. 
That was Phil Monsour and the Crisis Actors with Our House is on Fire. Once dominated by the Labor Party, the Brisbane City Council is the largest local government in the Southern Hemisphere with a $3.15 billion a year budget. Curiously, it has a library network without parallel where you can borrow books, film and magazines from and about anywhere in the world. Yet developers run City Hall. To quote from Mate, bribe-proofing the public purse against good blokes by Bernie Dowling, something is broken at councils in southeast Queensland. By 2017, it could not be ignored. The Crime and Corruption Commission, an independent investigator created by the state government, called an inquiry to investigate the conduct of the 2016 local government elections for councils of Moreton Bay Region, Ipswich and the Gold Coast. This inquiry was later broadened out to include Logan City Council. As a result, many corruption charges were laid against councillors and the entire Ipswich City and Logan City Councils were sacked by the Minister Stirling Hinchcliffe. 
So in 2020, local government elections imminent, I attended the postponed Reimagine Brisbane Ideas Festa and Policy Conference held on Saturday, last Saturday. The conference was delayed out of respect for the deceased Aboriginal leader, Sam Watson, who grew up in Mount Gravatt in Brisbane and who has had such an impact on this city. At the end of the plenary session, Councillor Jonathan Shree made a call for feedback and further discussion. This is Paradigm Shift's attempt to do that, just that. It's part of a series where we wish to tell a wider audience what important work is being done behind the scenes by activists, by people who are involved in getting elected to improve representation at local government levels here in the capital and in regional Queensland. There are local government reform alliance groups around the state, most active in this southeast corner, particularly over the issue of amalgamation of shires, which we'll get into later. But little is known about candidates who are part of this attempt at reform. This show hopes to remedy that. We have a long interview with Rob Pine later, who's running for the uh, Division 2 in Cairns. And uh, later on next week, we'll be hearing from Jim Dodrell from the Ipswich uh, Council elections. He's running in Division 3 up there, which is around Collingwood Park. So we've just got to be aware that these are dangerous days to say what you feel is to dig your own grave. That's a direct quote from Sinead O'Connor, who I've been listening to a bit lately. So let's now go to Parliament, where the Green MP for Maywa, that's Tawong, a Michael Berkman, let's hear what he proposes to do about the corruption that is evident in local government. I'd like to respond to some of the comments from others in this debate who've asked where this amounts to corruption. I just invite you to try and convince some regular people that when big corporations make donations, they're not expecting some income, some return. We know they are law-bound to spend money when they know it's going to raise money for shareholders and for, and for their CEOs. Now, what I and so many others have been referring to is legalised corruption where corporations like big banks, fossil fuel companies, insurance companies, the pokies lobby, they make donations to protect their own financial interests. Now, the question is, when bosses who are trying to underpay their workers, when banks who are ripping off their customers, when mining companies who are trying to dig up a dangerous project, should those corporations be writing checks to the same politicians who are making decisions? That was Michael Berkman, the MP for Maywa in the Parliament, copying a little bit of heckling from the mainstream parties there. So let's go down now to the United States, where they seem to have a similar democratic uh, issue, namely corruption. But this is a um, this is a, a song by David Rovix supporting someone who's on our side, so to speak. That's the renters, not the the property owners and the landlords. Let's hear what David Rovix has come up for their Portland election, local government elections over there. Greetings from Portland, from the east side, across the Willamette Divide. 
Attention residents, be you people or bots, especially members of the have-nots. Usually elections are just a bummer, a choice between Tweedledum and Dumber. But this time we can kick them in the ass with a vote for the working class. If this city is ours, then let's take it back. With a vote for Margot Black. Margot's been fighting for people like me since she first started living in the city. Because she's a renter, she pays the rent, and she wants to know where all her money went. She teaches math, it became clear, the math doesn't add up if you're renting here. She formed the tenants' union, her second occupation, taking on the landlords and the corporations. If this city is ours, then let's take it back. With a vote for Margot Black You can move into a tent and take it on the chin You can get a ballot and you can drop it in There's lots that needs to happen as you'll hear Margot say But this campaign's part of that, the election's in May So come on out, meet me in the streets we got a lot of neighbors that we need to meet for the radicals can take over City Hall, transform society before it falls. If the city is ours, then let's take it back with a vote for Margot Black. If the city is ours, then let's take it back with a vote for Margot Black With a vote for Margot Black That's uh, David Robix uh, with a vote for Margot Black. Uh, interesting song. And we want to take our city back too, by the way. So... Now, we've got a really good interview here with Rob Pine. Rob Pine should be no stranger to people in Brisbane. He was the independent MP from Cairns in the last period. Uh, he got voted out, but that was because he broke with the Labor Party who no longer supported him. But he, he was responsible, I believe, for some real reforms that have occurred in our state. The, 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 the most telling one was he brought a private member's bill before the state parliament to decriminalise abortion. And even though his bill didn't get up, one that was uh, supported by the Labor Party did get up and that was a great reform for the state which had languished for over 40 years struggling for women's rights. So let's go now without any further ado to Rob Pine who's running in... South Cairns for election in the 2020 local government elections that are coming up on the 28th of March. Could we start by you introducing yourself? Hi, my name's Rob Pine. At the moment, I'm standing for Cairns Regional Council Division 2 on the south side of Cairns. Are the 2020 local government elections, are these the climate change elections? Look, I think the answer is no. And I say that because even though it's a very important issue, um, most people in the community, certainly that I represent, 
um, will not be voting on that issue. So it's a very important issue, and I think people need to let their positions uh, be known. But um, I think people on the south side of Cairns in particular have a number of um, really um, quite immediate concerns, not that climate change is not an immediate concern, but I just think at a council level they've, they've really got their focus on other issues. What can Cairns City Council do, if, if anything, to reduce carbon emissions that are currently causing bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef? Well, I think it is important that every level of government acts. You know, it's important we as individual act. It's important that the local government, state government, and, and of course, um, we know that our national governments showed an appalling lack of leadership in this area, but it is important all levels of government act and, and areas where council needs to play a particularly important role are around town planning in terms of what approvals are granted uh, because we know um, there will be sea level rise taking place. We're getting a more accurate idea of the extent to which sea levels will rise and what time frame. We need to make our planning schemes consistent with that because we don't want to be approving um, residential developments in areas that are going to be underwater. In the old days, the most powerful person in local government was the shire or town clerk. Now, what has happened in the interim to change this? Well, there have been a number of changes. Um, one took place many years ago when the town clerk was um, replaced by the title CEO. And um, I think you can sort of parallel that change with a sort of um, lack of, not a lack of respect, but certainly um, the town clerk or city clerk was normally someone held in very high esteem in their local community. And I think that uh, change to CEO and the management style has seen um, that change. And I think people are much more... And look, maybe it's a good thing that today people are, are far more li likely to apply the heat of scrutiny to uh, the actions of CEOs and senior management. Um, and and I, they certainly don't feel sorry for them because they certainly paid um, to take them into account. Some of the big CEOs now paid an awful lot of money, and um, in return to that, they are they are there is scrutiny applied to their decisions and what happens. But I, I certainly miss the old days um, where the town quote not necessarily ruled with an iron fist, but but made decisions consistent with the public um, interest. And you know, it, it, I can't remember widespread corruption or any of these concerns um, back when we had that system. I can remember also in my local shire, um, councillors were only paid as part-timers, just, and it, whereas the the town clerk was a professional, you know, and had his, usually it was a him, but his or her hands over the entire business of that local shire. So, um, and also councillors that, you know, in those days they re really didn't get a lot of um, donations. They were sort of just sponsored by the community to run. Yeah, look, and it might seem tainted with self-interest, but I actually do believe councillors should be paid. I guess what I don't believe is that paying them necessarily guarantees a, a better level of representation. Um, they're, they're, there are a lot of people participating in the upcoming local government elections and um, they have various abilities and various policies. And really, the extent to which you get someone who's going to be a good representative of your local community uh, will be t determined by who people elect. So, um, you know, certainly there have been, uh, been good um, 
pay, highly, not highly paid, they've been good paid councillors and there's been poor paid councillors. There's been good part-time councillors and there's been poor part-time councillors. So I don't think it is a determinant, um, but, um, but yeah, times have certainly changed and uh, hopefully at least it means you can get in contact with your local councillor and get a reply if, uh, if they're not. But then again, it is honorary too. You know, if you pay the full-time salary, you shouldn't be doing another job. And there's a lot of councillors who are paid a full-time salary and are continuing either with consultancy work or interest in a business. And I think that's a bit, um, it's a bit of a fraud on the public, really. A Brisbane councillor gets, if I'm informed correctly, about $160,000 a year. Is that fair? Look, it sounds a lot to me. Um, You're just disappearing there, Rob. Well, the thing is, I'm aware that some of those Brisbane divisions are almost as big as... Um, state electorates and I think the Brisbane City Council is bigger than the state of Tasmania in terms of its budget and whatnot. so um, I think it's hard to justify um, a councillor being paid that sort of money but um, I, I certainly don't want to sort of criticise people well, what I would suspect is that um, some some aren't worth that um, sort of remuneration in terms of representation they provide and um, I, I would hope that some of them are, are working hard and earning their money. Remember when we 
to cause worse things and we decided not to it was easier not to remember when we thought that it was windmills on hills that spoiled the Ruth Mundy with Love in the Time of Coral Reefs. We're covering local government elections in this state and I'm talking with Rob Pine who is trying to be our local councillor near the coral reefs up in Cairns. So let's go back to that interview with Rob now. In 2017, you and others called for an ICAC style of independent investigator into corruption in local government. What happened to that call? So I continued that call for the period in which I was in the state parliament and um, I suffered uh, a fair bit of negative repercussions as part of that. Um, I left, um, resigned from the Labor Party, which in turn meant I lost my seat at the following election. But um, nonetheless, I think the passage of time has shown um, that corruption was proven in the Ipswich um, Council and, and there's been previous uh, cases in Logan and other areas of um, where the ministers had to walk in and sack councils uh, over corruption concerns. So, um, look, I don't regret making that call. I think if we'd gone down that track, we would have had a proper inquiry um, with proper thought-out recommendations that could have been um, properly considered, um, whereas we've gone down a different path where we've seen more ad hoc changes Making by, um, taken by the, the state government over what is now um, basically a, a four-year period, three, three four-year period, where they've um, increased um, some of the probity uh, requirements of local councillors to the point where, um, as we approach this local government election, we're seeing a far higher level of accountability required of local government councillors than we have at state or federal elections. And um, people can go online and see where their local candidate are getting donations from in real time on the ECQ website. They can see how local candidates are spending their money for their campaign. Um, this is all new stuff, and uh, and I think it's fantastic. So I think um, we've sort of arrived at a similar destination through these sort of ad hoc slow reforms, of which I guess is how Labor governments operate, rather than decide and say, said, well, what, what are these cases of corruption have in common, what are the determinants, and I had my own views on that at the time, and, uh, and that would have been a preferable way to go, but nevertheless, I can't say the state government hasn't acted, because they have in terms of the reforms that they've brought in. There was a lot of blowback when you made your stand against corruption as a state MP, as you mentioned, you lost your seat, a number of other things happened as well, but will you be doing things differently if, if elected this time? Well, I'm not running for a state government position, so I'm very conscious of that. And certainly in the promises and commitments I'm making to people in our local area, um, I'm aware that I would be operating under the Local Government Act, 
So you don't have um, the powers of a member of parliament, um, whether it's to table documents about your concerns or, or really have a bit of a statewide platform, which was the most useful thing of being a state member of parliament, getting the media to focus on issues, which often led to, led, led to a government response. Um, I suspect as a local government council, that's not going to be the case. So um, my role will be quite different from what it was as a state MP. And should I be elected from at the South Cairns level, I would say that it'll be slightly more boring, but I'll be focusing on local issues, especially regarding sport and recreation on the south side, um, council facilities and, um, and, and other issues that are really concerning as a result of the neglect of um, some of the southern, southern Cairns suburbs. In 2007, 156 local government councils were amalgamated down or reduced down to 77 councils. Was this a good or a bad thing for local government? And if not, why not? I think, um, to be fair, that's had good and bad consequences. Um, some of the positive consequences, consequences have been to give some of these new councils uh, greater economies of scale. And by that I mean there are a lot of um, smaller councils back then that were having real issues around providing new water supplies, um, replacing bridges and a lot of quite expensive infrastructure that they, they simply didn't have the revenue to fund. Now, when um, you had these merged councils, often you had these new big councils taking in large urban areas, but also rural and remote areas, which meant that what those new amalgamated councils could do is use their rates revenue from some of their urban areas to fund projects uh, like remote bridges and that sort of stuff. So th that was a real benefit of the amalgamation process. Um, on the other side of the coin, um, I think many people lost uh, that sense of connection with their local council, the sense of community that some of those smaller local councils provided. And, of course, some of those smaller local councils also saw the, um, the hub of the council, their local council offices, move from their small town to another larger town, and that had a very negative impact on some small um, remote communities in particular. So that was one of the negative impacts. And, um, and, of course, I think in areas it was done um, not well. Here in Cairns, we were amalgamated with the Douglas Shire, which includes Mossman and Port Douglas. Um, the people there were never happy with that, and um, they never accepted it, and uh, to the point where um, we became de-amalgamated. Um, a, a few years ago now, there was another referendum held and, and the amalgamation was overturned. Um, and I think that's because they got it wrong. Instead, they should have... Um, combine the Cairns council area uh, with Coranda. Instead of giving Coranda to Mareeva, let Coranda be part of the Cairns area. That was my feeling. So I think there were some decisions that probably weren't well done. There were some decisions that were poorly implemented. But uh, on the whole, there needed to be reform, uh, which is why the government proceeded with it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's pluses and minuses. I'm afraid I can't say it was a good or a bad thing. Um, you know, devil's advocate I could say was a necessary reform but um, not done as well as it should have been. You mentioned earlier in that answer that uh, the, the question of economies of scale. Now I, I understand that when you apply it to the private sector, to corporations that are making a, a product for a profit where they want to 
maximise the efficiency of their production, you know, like the old Ford Motor Company. It, 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 it revolutionised the, the production of, of um, cars through this economy of scale idea in their factories. But when it's applied to a public service, like a council is providing a public service, is that maybe the thinking there is not really the right approach because you're not providing a profit, you're providing a service to people. And um, as you mentioned, you know, some of the people got very upset in the smaller rural areas because they didn't feel that they were being represented. Is there any way, you know, obviously you are conscious of the revenue factor. Is there any way around that for so that people in regional Queensland can be more properly represented? The only way those um, smaller councils in some of those areas could have been financially viable on an ongoing basis would have been for the state or government to come in. And I think there is a strong case for that. And um, and that, that would have been the way that you could have... Like, we know what the federal government does. Um, the federal government gets money from all Australians. When they give that money back to the states, they don't give a dollar for dollar back to the states where the money was raised. They give money back... The federal government gives grants to the states according to the needs of the various states. So New South Wales and Victoria get less money back from the Commonwealth than the Commonwealth raises in those states, and some other states get more money from Commonwealth grants. And um, if that's the sort of thing you're talking about, you would need to have more of that happening at council level. So you would, in in effect, need state and um, federal government to do more to support some of those smaller councils you're talking about and keep them viable, because that clearly wasn't happening in uh, in 2007. I can say from my own personal experience, after the merger with Douglas Shire Council, I served on council from 2008 to 2015. And the amount of money we spent on the Douglas Shire during that area, because at the time of the amalgamation, they had very um, ageing water infrastructure to the point where it was endangering public health. They had many bridges, some in quite remote areas that needed to be replaced. And the new amalgamated council replaced all of those, and um, and, and rightly so. But now that it's been de-amalgamated, these assets are going to have a lifespan of 30-odd years or whatever. What's going to happen when the Douglas Shire needs that infrastructure replaced again? Now, for them to do it themselves, they're going to have to charge an awful lot of money um, to their ratepayers. And... You know, in part, at least, that decision to de-amalgamate was the ratepayers of the Douglas Shire saying we're prepared to foot the bill. But at the moment, um, they're not being levied on that basis. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there and in other other areas over time. You're on the Paradigm Shift. It's coming up for 20 to 1. And we're talking with Rob Pine, who was a former independent member for Parliament and is now going for election in the Cairns District um, for local government elections coming up on the 28th of March. We are discussing in the paradigm shift for over the next few weeks what it means to be in local government and what what needs to be done to avert the corruption that was obviously present in the last period from 2016 to 2020, where we had a Belcara operation that inquired into corruption in local government. There were two councils sacked. Um, there was a, there's a lot of charges still pending in the courts. 
There's a, uh, a former mayor who's up on some very serious charges, mayor of Ipswich. And so we'll go back now to Rob Pine and to get some of his experience, both as a councillor and as a member of parliament, about what needs to be done. The Burnershire out at west of Ipswich, and it was amalgamated with Bodesert Shire and also Mount Tambourine to form the scenic rim. Bodesert was a bigger area, but the, the road gang at Burner was second to none. That You know, they were, because of the cohesive nature of the people in the town, the workers in the town, it was just, I don't know exactly the reason for it, but they were, they were so good, they were like being contracted out to Ipswich to help Ipswich mend its roads and bridges. And so, but when that amalgamation occurred on the basis of that economy of scale, that expertise was lost and a lot of the people that were involved in it, they they were dissipated. You know, they couldn't, they didn't want to drive all the way to Bow Desert. That, that, that is a tragic outcome, the amalgamation process. And I did say there were the pluses and minuses and that story you've just given um, could be applied to a number of other um, remote communities where council was the biggest employer. Um, and, uh, and, and yes, that's very true what you've said. And... Uh, um, quite a sad outcome of the amalgamation process. And also some councils came to the amalgam process very well resourced with quite up-to-date um, infrastructure and others uh, benefited because they were in quite dire circumstances. So there, there were winners and losers, if you like, and I suspect in the scenic Grim area, there were winners and losers amongst the councils um, who formed the new entity, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, you also mentioned in your answer water infrastructure as it applied to Douglas. I know when they amalgamated the Warwickshire with the Stanthorpe, one of the main reasons they gave there was water, was uh, the availability of water. Um, but unfortunately, the, um, the water supplies in both those areas are now down to, you know, very low levels. People have had to sell their stock. Farmers have had to... They can't grow crops. They, um, it's a desperate situation. Um, now... They're, they're actually uh, trucking water from one dam, which is already pretty low, to another at Stanthorpe to try to keep the town supply up. And um, the state government's response to that is to build another dam at, at Stanthorpe. But interestingly, when they propose that, instead of going down the road of a um, public statutory authority uh, owning and running the dam, they propose that it be owned by a corporation limited by guarantee. Now, that, to me, says that the water is going to be privately owned, possibly by the growers in Stanthorpe. Is that a sound model for local government? Look, I think, I think it's very concerning. I remember back in um, around the time of the amalgamations, because many councils, like Cairns Regional Council, continue to operate and manage water supplies for our area. I can't remember if it was the local government, but I still remember someone at the time saying, well, councils can either do it and do it properly or we'll give it to someone else to run. I think, I think that's pretty concerning before you start giving assets to other corporations to run. They're obviously going to be motivated by the bottom line. And, and some of these corporations in South East Queensland that I'm not familiar with, yeah, you do worry. Are they going to be doing things in the public interest? Like, at least with you'd like to think with public sector bodies, um, they're guided by the public interest and have a degree of transparency and accountability. And sometimes that's a bad thing because when you make mistakes, they're there for all to see. But I'd, I'd still much rather um, have um, councils um, operating water infrastructure with the support of state government 
than having um, private companies do it. I think that's a real, a real concern moving forward and, and one of the important issues uh, people should be focused on, and not just the council level, at the state level as well. Um, if elected, what do you intend to do to improve your the local area in which you're representing, including the the, the, the areas you mentioned there of South Cairns and other suburbs? Well, what I can do as a local councillor for this area is to unapologetically represent this area. And every time there's a, a proposal or resolution, whether it comes from myself or other councillors, that, that helps um, the area I've been elected to represent, I will vote in favour of that. And that's something that you might think is a basic requirement of every local government council, that they represent their people. Unfortunately, most times, or quite often, it does not happen because people are elected as part of a council team or in Brisbane they're elected as part of a political party. And guess what? They get elected, they take their seat and they vote as they're told. The party whip or the mayor will say, I need to vote on this, you will vote this way. And if they, uh, if they, if they don't do that, they get kicked out. Well, I think of my past record shows that I won't be intimidated. Threatening me is not going to work. If I get elected to the people of South Cairns, I will represent their interest on council without fear or favour. And um, and I think this area really is suffering a, a, a history of people not speaking up for it. Um, two of the suburbs here, Bentley Park and Mount Sheridan, have a life expectancy of 66 years of age. That's um, that's pretty pretty poor. It's one of the lowest in our area here in Cairns and much lower than the state average. So as local council, I won't be able to fix that, but at least I'll be talking about it and saying residents here need more support than they're getting. Is, is there anything that you'd like to add, particularly about how difficult it is for an independent voice to get elected given the state of our media in, in Queensland? Yeah, look, I was feeling sorry for, for myself uh, a while ago about living in a News Corp town, if you like, and the fact that uh, really, if you're not part of one of the vested interests, that you don't get any coverage and any coverage you do gets overwhelmingly negative, particularly if you've got a progressive agenda. But I was watching on the ABC, I don't know if you saw it, that documentary about Kelly Lane, the water polo player. She, she was accused of all these things uh, in, in, the, um, in the media and ended up going to jail for life. Uh, for murdering a baby. Well, it turns out a lot of the things that came forward during the trial weren't true, and a lot of the media coverage was wrong. And I remember thinking, well, gee, at least if I uh, if I suffer, I'll be losing an election. I won't be going to jail because um, that's how powerful the media is. They can determine the outcomes of people's lives, and it, it's, it's a tragic thing, really. And thank God for the ABC is all I can say, that uh, when there's miscarriages of justice, when there is obvious bias and... Uh, and mischievous political conduct it can be exposed uh, on the abc and i just wish more people watched it to be honest well anyone who's considering running for local government uh it might be a bit late at this point but you know most candidates have got their campaigns a bit geared up but if you are interested in your local community find a good independent candidate that represents the sort of values and ideas you support and get behind them um give them some support on the social media get out hand how to vote cards out for them because you know, when it comes to the systemic problems that we face, um, like everything from from water to climate change, it's all... Um, the problem is people not representing their local communities and not uh, and, and voting for, for corporate interests, uh, for big politics, for big money. So find a local council candidate who's really got a history of being active in your local community to represent local people and let's try and get a bottom-up approach rather than a top-down one. I know that there is a group called the Queensland Local Government Reform Alliance and um, 
they're quite active down here in the southeast. I don't know, is that the case up in North Queensland or...? No, they're not as active up here, but I have got their newsletters. So um, they've certainly highlighted some of the, uh, getting back to our previous discussion, the problems with the deamalgamation process. And, uh, and um, yeah, I suppose another negative of that is it's harder for local independents to get elected as well. Um, but, yeah, they're very active and, um, and representing community concerns. And, gee, we shouldn't be just trying to silence voices we don't agree with. I know there's been some pressure placed on that association and, and we need to let everyone have a voice in this state and, um, and, and not just have people like Rupert Murdoch and, 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 and party politicians um, dominate everything the way they are at the moment. Great. Thanks for that, Rob. OK, sorry I wasn't more articulate. It was plenty articulate for me. He covered a lot of ground there. It was good. About that uh, organisation, the Queensland Local Government Reform Alliance, I will be trying to interview some of the people from that group to get an insight into why local government does need to be reformed in the next couple of weeks. We just put a little bit of historical background to the next point that uh, we're going to raise on the show about corruption in local government. In June 2017, I attended a press conference outside the Queensland State Parliament. Uh, It had been called by Rob Pine, who you've just heard from, and by the Ipswich Ratepayers Association and a number of other concerned citizens. Now, Jim Dodrell from the Ipswich Ratepayers Association spoke at that press conference against corruption. And on the following, following Sunday, events took a dramatic turn when Jim Dodrell and his father were attacked and severely bashed in the bush by a gang of over 15 uh, people. Now, I am going to be talking to Jim Dodrell later today and I'll be playing that interview next week, first up. But let's go back now to that circumstance where Jim Dodrell was bashed and get his take on what was going on. This is an interview done in 2017 by Andy Payne from the show. On Friday, President of the Ipswich Residents and Ratepayers Association, Jim Dodrell, was fronting a media conference outside Parliament House calling for a new anti-corruption watchdog. The problem is systematic in Ipswich. Uh, The problem goes all the way right through the council. The councillors, the mayor and the CEO and and senior uh, officers in Ipswich City Council. On Sunday, he was in hospital, having, along with his father, been bashed by a gang of over 15 people in the bush outside Ipswich. I spoke to Jim about the incident. So on Sunday, um, I was at church, um, Riverview Catholic Church, uh, in the morning. Uh, I was leaving and I was approached by a gentleman who I've never met before. Um, he asked me He asked me if I was Jim Dodrell from the Ipswich Trade Payers Association, which I confirmed with him. And he said um, he would like to uh, get some help from me. He had a complaint about um, trail bike noise near his house, he claimed. And um, he asked if I could meet him 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon so that he could show me the problem. So I actually arrived, you know, at the designated place at at 4 o'clock. And um, he led the way down a dirt track. We, we sort of walked up to the top of this embankment, um, noticed that there were half a dozen trail bikes or so, 
and then about another 15 or so people gathered around cars and four-wheel drives all with beer bottles in their hands and uh, immediately upon sighting us um, the trail bike riders and the people around the cars and four-wheel drives all approached us very quickly and they were very angry and confrontational uh, immediately very aggressive um, we were told immediately that we were going to be killed you know to me at that point in time that was just some angry you know 18 year olds or whatever just you know being silly but it escalated very very quickly um i asked for them to calm down you know and um i said you know we'll just leave you know you calm down and that'll be the end of it but there was uh, i was told straight away that you're not leaving here alive and then there were shouts to get his camera and kill him so then obviously I was taking this a lot more seriously. So then the, the, the punches uh, started to come our way. I initially um, had some success in blocking and evading uh, some of those attacks, but there were so many attackers that, um, you know, it just became too difficult. They were all around us and keeping in mind we were at the top of a slope. So, you know, maybe about an eight meter slope. So we were pushed down the slope and attacked we were hit with objects, bottles, rocks, poles, kicks, punches, you know. Uh, it went for maybe five minutes. I was on the ground for a little while, being beaten and stomped on. My father's 73 years old. He, um, he was being attacked as well by a group. One of the people on top of me was screaming, kill, kill, you know. So their intentions were uh, quite extreme, you know. It wasn't just, you know, here's a, here's a slap, get lost kind of thing. They were fairly serious, um, these people. Um, I believe they, they were intoxicated and perhaps under the influence of, you know, uh, substances. But the attack never relented. Uh, it continued for some time. I was fortunately able to get to my feet. There was, this, there was just a slight pause, enough for me to get to my feet. I located my father a few metres away. He was under attack as well. I was still under attack. But we were able to kind of move close to each other, so it gave us an opportunity to be able to back away. We weren't able to run away because if there were a lot of young guys there who would have easily outrun us. Um, so we backed away, still under attack. Uh, eventually, we got far enough, I believe from the trail bikes and vehicles that the attackers didn't want to go further. It's not that they didn't want to continue their attack. I just feel that they felt insecure being too far away from their vehicles if they needed to escape. That gave us an opportunity to then call the police. They retreated and we could hear their vehicles drive away. But then that gave us an opportunity to return back to the original scene um, because my camera had been stolen my jacket and car keys had been stolen. My father's watch and glasses had been stolen and a few other items of property had been stolen off us physically. They'd been pulled off us physically. So we, we looked around for some of that those items. I found my glasses, but uh, we didn't find anything else. Um, so we just uh, stayed there and waited for the police to arrive. So for an outsider, I think the inference that we would draw from this is that it has something to do with your recent high profile regarding corruption allegations. Is that how you interpret it? A number of people have suggested that that might be the case, uh, including people who are experienced in law enforcement. Um, look, I, to be very honest, I have no evidence of that. But if somebody was to prove that to me, 
I wouldn't be surprised. Um, there is a toxic, dangerous uh, political environment in Ipswich. Um, you have involvement um, from federal members of parliament to state and local government um, officials who um, have been proven to be colluding together in the recent um, Operation Belcara um, Triple C uh, hearings. So we know that these people are associated. We know that they collude with each other. Exactly what they do and what they collude on is still, you know, under investigation. But um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if somebody was to tell me that there was some sort of coordination or organisation to the attack on us. But at this point in time, uh, my main concerns are, number one, that my father recovers and that he's okay. I'm fairly confident that I'll, you know, be 100%, you know, in a few days or a few weeks. I've got a few fractures that have to heal and um, some staples to be removed, you know, from head wounds and that kind of thing. But, um, but I guess the second thing is that um, I really would like to ensure that this doesn't happen to anybody else, you know. I wouldn't wish this on anybody, you know. And so I believe there has to be an inquiry, an independent inquiry, into the, the, the motivations and the actions and the, and the relationships of people within Ipswich City Council because I believe that there are serious problems in Ipswich and I, I believe that only a, a, an ITAC-style inquiry will uncover or will have the powers to uncover um, uh, those motivations and those people involved in, in those kind of activities. Reports on Monday were that one person has been questioned and then released by police. But there is surely more to come in this story if there is someone willing and empowered to dig around and find the truth. Well, Andy, that's us. On the Paradigm Shift, we'll be digging around. I'll be talking to Jim Jodrell straight after the show and we'll be making our inquiries there. Jim is running for the council elections on on the 28th of March. He's running here in the Collingwood Park area in Division 3, I believe, of Ipswich. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. We're out of time. Opinion Police is coming up next. We're going to go out with a view from a wooden chair. And this is put on by Jumping Fences, who tonight they have a really excellent concert with three different acts at Karilpa Hall. At 7.30, the concert begins. Go along there if you wish. There's food and drink available. It's BYO. It's $15 or I think $8 for concession. I don't think they're too heavy on people who don't have money either. So it's best to get along there and to see some of the, the really good acts that are on. That's it for me. See you next week. View from a wooden chair by Jumping Fences. On a broken path Aging soot blackens old brick walls Old car leans at the corner Stray dog barks at grim passerby Bicycles line up at the local store Factories crumble behind rusting iron Graffiti grows on the railway bridge A worker in overalls walks on home 
arms to one side Poster peels on a bolted gate It's faded but not forgotten An injury to one is an injury to all Car rattles along with broken exhaust Clouds hurry past in the driving wind Is this all there is? Ask the passerby No, said the worker It's just a view from a wooden chair 